Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18. Here is the word of the Lord. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these verses. There's, there's a lot of good here for us. This is, this is good for our hearts, good for our minds, good for our souls, good for our lives. Help us to understand and to believe your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, my children, um, I, I first was going to say my children like to mix drinks, but I'm not going to say that because that gives you the wrong idea. My children like to mix juices. Um, so at breakfast time, often we have, um, we have cranberry juice, we have apple juice, we have orange juice on the table, um, and my son, especially my son Silas, likes to have two or three of them poured into the same cup. Um, he, he also likes to have them poured in certain order, which I'm not going to get into that. That's not, we don't need to talk about that. But, um, uh, he's, but, but here's the thing, um, and I talked to him about this, and he doesn't care at all. And I also say things like, why don't we just buy apple cranberry juice? That's a thing. Why don't, so anyhow, doesn't, none of that matters. Um, because here's what happens when you pour apple juice into a cup and then you pour cranberry juice into that cup. You, you no longer have either apple or cranberry juice. You, you have a mixture. You've, the cranberry juice has necessarily absolutely changed the apple juice and the apple juice has changed the cranberry. You, it's not, it's, you don't have either anymore. You don't truly have either anymore. You have a whole new thing, which you could have bought at the store. That doesn't matter. But you, you, you have a whole new thing. Here's what we do with our understanding of Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we can, we can think about Jesus this way. Um, it's, it's almost like we think... Because we know, we, we know that um, Scripture teaches us clearly. Hebrews 1 is incredibly clear. That Scripture teaches very clearly. Colossians 1 is incredibly clear. John is clear. Like, Jesus is God. Jesus has a definite divine nature. And, and we also know Jesus is absolutely human. He has a definite human nature. But here's what we can do if we're not careful. We can start to think of Jesus as like um, a mixture, as if maybe God the Father poured Jesus' divine nature into a body, and, and then he poured Jesus' human nature into a body, and then we came up with something that's that's tr- really not divine or human. It's kind of like a 
kind of like a mixture. We, if we're not careful, we have to be, we have to be super precise with our theology. We have to. We have to be clear thinking people. Because otherwise, we, we start to assume things like somehow Jesus' humanity uh, watered down, changed in some way His divinity. We, we start to think that because Jesus was truly human, that must mean that in some way He stopped being the, the perfectly holy, all-wise, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign God of the universe. Well... The book of John doesn't allow us to believe that. The book of Colossians doesn't allow us to believe that. Hebrews chapter 1 doesn't allow us to believe that. Scripture is clear. Jesus has never been anything other than fully God. He has never been anything other than the perfectly holy, all-wise, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign God of the universe. Because of His divine nature, He has never ever been anything other than fully God. Because if He ever was anything other than fully God, we are dead in our sins. Not to mention the fact that the universe itself would crumble into pieces. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He always has. He always will. So His divinity was never, ever watered down in any way. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If not, he's not worthy of our worship. But, so we have to have that. We have to understand that his humanity didn't get mixed in with his divinity and change it in any way. That his two natures are, are separate. They are, they're separate. One person, two very distinct, unconfused, undiluted natures. But we also understand, for, for our purposes today especially, that just because, and, and, and just like his humanity did not change his divinity, his divinity did not change his humanity. When he completely took on flesh, he completely took on flesh. He became fully human. So there's this glorious, very mysterious truth that that, that baby that we celebrate at Christmas time, that baby lying in the manger, that, that baby that, that Mary and Joseph held in their arms, uh, they took turns, uh, and they, the, that baby that they, they had to teach how to crawl and how to walk and how to talk, that baby absolutely always was the, was the God of the universe upholding the universe together by the power of His Word and yet, in his human nature, he became tired. He took naps. He needed a snack. He needed to go to bed at night. He got tired. And he wasn't fake tired. He wasn't playing a role. He wasn't an actor coming to kind of pretend, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'll, I'll sleep too. I'm really tired. I'm, he, he wasn't faking. He wasn't fake man. He was never fake God. He's fully God, fully man, no, no mixture. One person, two natures. Two authentic natures. Now, can we completely understand this? I can, you guys can't. Um, and I really can't even help you figure it out, okay? So just, no, no, we can't, we, we, we can't fully understand this. But, because of the Holy Spirit, 
Because, because God in His grace has given us His Spirit to, to help us to believe His Word, we can truly believe it. We don't have to be able to make it work out completely logical so that our minds can get around it completely. Our, our finite minds cannot get around an infinite God. That's just, the, that's part of what it means to be human. But it is important that we believe it. It's very important that we believe it. It's very important that we understand Jesus' divinity did not in any way make him some sort of fake human or some sort of less than human. He was fully human. And why does that matter? We have three important life-giving reasons why theology nerds are theology nerds. Why we're thankful for people who do this precise work of, of defining what the Bible says as clearly and as accurately, as precisely as possible. Why is it important that Jesus became fully human? Three reasons. Three reasons. Number one, Jesus became fully human to deliver us from the fear of death. Verses 14 and 15. I love these verses so tempted this week to just do a sermon on these verses, but I already did that. I'm already doing that, so we've got to stop somewhere. We can't keep dividing. Listen to 14 and 15. Listen to these verses. Since therefore the children, that's you and me, praise God. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So why did the God of the universe partake of the same things? Why did he fully take on flesh and blood? Why did he become fully and truly human? So that he could die. In his, in his divinity, of course, of course the Son of God cannot die. In his divine nature, you, God is eternal. So, so God must become man. The Son of God must take on full humanity in order to die. And in His humanity, He truly, absolutely, completely died. And it was important for Him to do so because you and I, whether we want to admit it or not, are very afraid of death. Um... I thought this was a really good, appropriate topic to talk about with my elementary soccer team the other day. Um, they said to me that they were dying. And I think it was because, poor little fellas, I think it was because they had to run three sprints that day rather than two. And so, I don't know, call, call Child Protective Services. I don't know. Anyhow, um, uh, just kidding. Just, I'm just and so anyhow, uh, so they were, we're dying. I was like, of course you're dying. Why is that? That's not an announcement. You've been dying since you were born. Like, no, we haven't. Yes, you have. It's part of being human. You've been dying since day one. So they all need therapy now. (laughs) Uh, We'll see if I get rehired next year. It's still kind of... My status is uncertain. (laughs) Go ahead and coach him. Just leave out the... Death stuff next time, please. We are, and we don't, there there are things that we know because Scripture tells us they're true. One of the things that Scripture tells us is true is we are afraid to die. A lot of us don't think about it. 
We don't, we don't consciously think about it, but we are afraid to die. We are dying, and we are conscious of it in some way. Right? And we're afraid of it. We, and, and, and Romans 1 teaches us that even though we keep this truth buried in our hearts, buried in our minds, we keep it pressed down, compressed. We keep it in a, a dark corner that we never look into. We keep this truth as far away from us as possible. We know we stand guilty before our Creator. We can pretend we can pretend it away as fiercely as we want. Romans 1 is clear. We know. There is a level on which we know. Humans are going to be judged and punished for their sin. Humans are going to face eternal punishment in hell for their sin. This is the reason behind all the other reasons why we are afraid to die. We have all kinds of family reasons. We have relational reasons. We have... We have um, uh, physical pain reasons we are afraid to die. We have emotional reasons. The reason behind all of them um, is because we don't know what happens afterwards and we are scared of it. And we should be. Humans are going to be judged and punished for their sin. After they physically die, they are going to face spiritual death. Spiritual punishment. They're going to face hell. So what has the Son of God done? What has Jesus Christ done? He has become fully human so that He could die. And when He died, because He is also fully God, He can do this. And we'll get into that in the book of Hebrews. It's going to be lots of fun. When He died... He completely paid for all the sins of everyone who would believe. All of the children. All of the offspring of Abraham. You trust the gospel. Your sins are paid for. Now, because Christ has died for me, since Christ has paid for my sins, I no longer need to fear death. I am going to die. I don't want to die. I don't. See, the thing is, I don't want to die before my family dies, but I don't want to die after them either. It's real, I'm, I guess I'm running out of options. <laughs> right? It really, it really doesn't give me much of a timetable. <laughs> if you think about it. I don't want to die. But I'm... In my moments, which, which come and go, my, my moments of gospel sanity, I'm no longer afraid to die. Because Christ was punished for my sins in His death. So when I die, I am going to be brought into His joy and His blessing forever. And so this helps me because there is a, a clock that is ticking. I know, I know you, I know you super old people, you think that me being 41 is young, but I feel like there's so much I want to do, and I'm not going to get it done. I feel, I feel like I'm going to leave too soon. This is, this is in big, like philosophical moments that I'm thinking this, but it's also in smaller, 
even more selfish moments. I'm afraid to miss out on happiness here on earth. Why do you think, why do you think a a 45 year old guy ditches the wife who has been faithful to him for 20 years and, and moves in with some 22 year old woman? Why does he do this? Because he is afraid to die. His life is getting away from him. And he wants to get all of the happiness, all of the joy, all of the ecstasy that he can get in this life before he passes away. This is why we do these stupid midlife crisis kind of things. This is why we jump from one thing to another. This is why we get so angry, so bent out of shape when our reputation here on this earth gets damaged. Here's why we're greedy instead of being generous. Here's why we, we, we serve ourselves rather than serving other people. Because there's a way in our minds where we really think that the only shot at happiness we have is here on this earth. So we've got to guard it because we're running out of time to keep it and to have it and to enjoy it. We're stupid. We're enslaved to this fear of death. And Jesus in His kindness has come and has, and has died for us. And one of the beautiful things He has done for us is He said to us, you don't have to be afraid anymore. When you die, you are going to be brought into joy and blessing forever. So chill out. It's going to be okay. When he died, he took away the ultimate reason, the reason that feeds all the other reasons on why we fear death. So why did Jesus become fully human? To deliver us from the fear of death. Here's the the second reason why Jesus became fully human. And this reason is tied so close to the first reason that it's almost like looking at it just from a different angle. But here it is. Number two, Jesus became fully human to make propitiation for our sins. So if you're wondering how to spell the word propitiation, you look at the, the at the end of verse 17. If, you, if you're taking, if you're a note taker and you're like, I, I don't know, I, I know how to say those other words, I don't know that one. Jesus became fully human to make propitiation for our sins. Verses 16 and 17 say, I I love these, I love these verses. Hebrews is so good. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. I love that verse. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Who does Jesus help? He helps the offspring of Abraham. In New Testament language, this is you and I. This is those who believe. Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. And, and what does it mean that Jesus helps us? Please listen. Like if you've, if you've just, if you've zoned out, and I, come back in for a second. I'll let you go in a second. Just come back in for a second. That word for help is a weird word. It's a weird word. We've got some Greek scholars in this room, and they could they could give you the details on it, right? They could they could they could talk you through um, the way this word is used elsewhere. But I'm just going to tell you this this word that gets translated help here in this 
verse hardly ever gets translated help. It's usually translated grab onto, take hold of. This is how Jesus helps us. He grabs hold of us. He takes hold of us. He never lets us go. Jesus is, Jesus has been sent by the Father to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And how does he bring many sons and daughters to glory? By grabbing hold of us. And how does he grab hold of us? By making propitiation for our sins. Starting about Hebrews 5, the, the author of Hebrews is going to do a deep dive into what it means for Jesus to be our high priest. It's going to be a, a, a just come, come for those, it's going to be a good time. I can't wait. But for today, let's just take home this truth that Jesus has made propitiation for our sins. Which means a couple of things. It means he has completely removed our sins from us. And he has completely taken God's wrath from us. On the cross, Jesus Christ met the demands of God's wrath. We have to remember We don't like to remember, but we have to remember our sin makes God angry. Your sin makes God angry. My sin makes God angry. And it it must. We want it to. In our moments of gospel sanity, we want God to be angry at sin. Because we lose God if we don't have that. So God, because of His perfect holiness, hates our sin. And the only way to satisfy His wrath against us. You can picture it this way. The only way for God to lay down His weapons that He has rightfully aimed at us, ready to strike, the only way for God's wrath to be satisfied is for the sinner to die. God hates sin. And, and, and here's just a, a fun little Christological rabbit trail. All right, let's, let's not forget that Jesus is and always has been God. So sometimes what we do, and, and, and in some ways this is appropriate. So I'm not just I'm just not I'm not just bashing this in general. In some ways it's appropriate to see, um, like like God the Father uh, pours out His wrath on God the Son for for our sins. But if we only think in those terms, then we'll forget, uh, or, or we'll start to think about like God the Father is the one who really hates sin, and and God the Son is the one who really loves sinners, or something like that. We kind of divide the Trinity up, make them like, like, like they're kind of, uh, you know, balancing each other out or something. No. God, God loves His family. God hates sin. He loves the children He is bringing to glory. He hates sin. God the Father and God the Son. Revelation chapter 6 talks about the wrath of the Lamb. It's ugly. It's terrifying. The, the, the Son of God has hor- horrifying wrath against sin. Just read Revelation 6. It is, a, it is brutal. So what has this Son of God who, who loves the children of Abraham and who hates sin, what has He done? He has become truly human. And he has done something that no one else could possibly do. He has satisfied his own wrath against sin. He has met his own demands. Of course he satisfied the Father's wrath. Of course, that's a completely good way of describing it. But let's not forget that as the second person of the Trinity, as God himself, 
Jesus Christ satisfied His own wrath against sin. There is more mercy and grace and love here than we know what to do with. We needed Jesus to be perfect. Only God is perfect, so Jesus is perfect. If Jesus was going to offer up a, a, a satisfactory sacrifice for our sins, He must be God. Only God could possibly do this. And we needed Jesus to be human in order to actually, legally represent us before God. The high priest had to be human. Jesus is truly and fully God. He is truly and fully human. And He has truly received onto Himself all of the wrath that we deserve. There is more mercy and grace and love here than we know what to do with. We will never know just how merciful and faithful our High Priest is until we get to heaven. So that's the second reason why Jesus became fully human to make propitiation for our sins. Here's our final reason. Third, third and final reason from these verses. Number three, Jesus became fully human to help us when we are tempted. He became fully human to help us when we are tempted. Verse 18 says, For because He Himself has suffered while or when tempted. For he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus has suffered when tempted. Jesus knows firsthand the great temptations that come with suffering. When we suffer... We are, we are tempted to despair when, when, when things are just going against us, when we are struggling through pain or relational strife or, or, or financial instability, when we are, when we are going through it. We are tempted in very particular ways. We are tempted to despair. We are tempted to get angry with God. We are tempted to be selfish and stop serving and comforting and encouraging others. We're tempted to be self-righteous, to disdain other people. We're tempted to, to worry and envy. Mostly though, and I think this is what the, the author of Hebrews is mostly getting at, we are tempted to turn our back on the promises of God. The author of Hebrews knows that these that these people who are receiving this letter are going to suffer. They are already suffering, and they're going to continue to suffer. It is going to be difficult for them to continue to commit themselves to Christ, to follow Christ, to, to associate with Christ. It's going to be hard for them. It's going to come from, from the, 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 the Roman government. It's going to come from their Jewish family and friends. It's going to be hard for them. They're going to suffer. The author of Hebrews is saying, I've got good news. I've got good news. Don't, don't turn your back on the gospel. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Even when you are suffering. Don't turn away. And here's why. The Son of God has become truly and fully man. And because of this, He actually, authentically, genuinely knows what it is like to suffer. He didn't fake suffer. His, his divine nature 
didn't mitigate his suffering. It didn't water down his suffering. We don't have apple juice changing the cranberry juice. We got apple juice over here. We got cranberry juice over here. We've got, we've got humanity. Jesus suffered. Now, now, could he have actually been tempted? Because, because in his divine nature, he could never truly sin. We know that for sure. We know for sure that in his divine nature, he could never have, he could never have sinned. So could he have truly been tempted? Yes. He is fully human. So he is truly tempted. Could he have sinned? No. Was he truly tempted? Yes. Can we understand that? No. Is it true? Yes. And in fact, he's been far more tempted than you or I have. He's endured far more temptation than you or I have. Think, think about it this way. Um, let's just assume that Dale and I, which is probably going to happen soon, Dale and I are, um, are uh, uh, taken by the Russians. Um, and this is just a matter of days, right? Because, because we know stuff that they want. We've got information. We know why, we know why Chick-fil-A works. We know, I mean, we, we know what's in the secret sauce. We know stuff, all right? We've got secrets that are very important to the Russians. And so they, they take both of us and they torture both of us. And of course, I give in after maybe 14 minutes. Um, I mean, I hang tough until I'm just a blubbering mess on the floor and I'm telling them everything. I'm telling them stuff I don't know. I'm making stuff up. I mean, I just, I'll tell you anything. And, and, and Dale holds strong for eight hours. And then because the Russian torturer has a wife and family to get home to, he says, well, I'm done for the day. I'll, I'll clock out and I'll see you tomorrow, Dale. Which one of us suffered more torture? Well, Dale did. Because he never gave in. Because he never gave in. Jesus has suffered far more temptation than we ever have because he never gave in. He felt the weight of it in ways we never will because we're a blubbering mess in 17 minutes. Jesus is different from us. We give up, we give in, we say, I'm sorry, I'm going to try again. Help me. Help me not to do that again. I'm sorry. Jesus never sinned. Once. He has suffered when tempted. And without sin. So he is able to help us when we are tempted. Because when Jesus suffered, he was more than just a good example to us. He was more than just this hero that we're impressed with. When Jesus suffered on the cross, he suffered explicitly to pay for all the times that we give in to temptation. Jesus suffered to pay for all of our sin. So he helps us, first and foremost, by saving us, by cleansing us, by presenting us righteous before his Father, by defending us and making intercession for us. But then he also helps us by sending his Spirit to give us strength to fight temptation ourselves. He comforts us in all this because he knows he's been there. So, so he helps us in ways that only God could help us. Only God can send his Spirit to strengthen us in our moments of need. 
Only God could actually save us. So he helps us in ways that only God could, but he helps us in ways that only man could as well. We get tempted. We face temptation every day. A lot of it is going back to our first point. It's, it's because there's this way in which we're still afraid of death. We don't want to miss out. We're tempted towards uh, envy and greed and, and lust and bitterness. And we're, we're angry when our bodies get old and don't do what we want them to do. We get agitated when we feel like we're running out of time, when we're, we're not as impressive as we thought we should have been by now. In all of our weakness and forgetfulness, Jesus helps us. He first and foremost helped us by delivering us from the fear of the fear of death, by delivering us from the fear of hell, by delivering us from our sin. He did something that only someone who is truly God truly man can do. He has resisted temptation perfectly. He has suffered in our place. He has taken us by the hand and he is bringing us to glory. And along the way, time and time again, he helps us when we are tempted. Ask him. Ask him for help. He loves to help his little brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your son. Father, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You that He is fully God, and we thank You that He is fully man, and He has done what only someone who is fully God and fully man can do. God, You are incredibly kind to us. We thank You for Your great love. We thank You that You hate sin. If You, if you didn't hate sin, we wouldn't be here. The universe would not hold together without your perfections, without your infinite perfections. And one of your infinite perfections is your hatred for sin. And we thank you for this. This is our only hope for, for justice. It's our, it's our only hope for a good God we can trust. But we also know that because you hate sin, we, apart from Christ, are doomed, so we thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.